0: Using Templates and Writing Precedents. Legal Writing. The 4 Legal English podcast is now in session. On today's docket, we discuss using templates and writing precedents. How does an attorney use these tools? How does this improve your legal writing and your work product? And minimize errors. Do you have to communicate in written English? Or perhaps you have to send emails or letters to clients or draft memos to your boss or your employees? Are you looking to improve your legal writing skills? Then this episode may be for you. Welcome to the Four Legal English Podcast. This is the show for lawyers, law students, and other professionals from all over the world who want to improve both their legal English and legal knowledge. In this episode, we discuss different legal topics, such as law in the news, law in practice, legal writing, legal movies, and other issues. I'm Timothy Barrett, your host. I'm a former practicing attorney from the United States, and now I teach law in Tbilisi, Georgia. Go to our website. 4 is in the number 4, Legal English, no spaces or dashes, dot com. 4LegalEnglish.com Check out our blog articles, available courses, in the show notes for this episode. <music> Legal writing is repetitive. As lawyers, we often write the same things or or same types of things over and over again. We might change the names or the dates or other details, but a lot of the writing remains the same. So we can use writing templates or precedents with certain goals to streamline, to save time and effort, for consistency, either for the individual lawyer or for the whole law firm together and to improve writing over time. These can be used with legal pleadings, such as complaints or answers or motions or briefs, other legal documents, such as contracts or wills, informal letters to opposing counsel, to parties, or to our own clients. Writing precedents and forms or templates, they all have slightly different meanings, but they do overlap. So I'll explain what those meanings are, but don't worry about their differences so much. Sometimes different writers or different law firms will use these terms in a way that blurs their distinctions. And if that's commonly the case, then the distinctions aren't that important. But I will point them out as we go through them. Writing precedents. Here, when we say writing precedent, don't confuse it with legal precedent or case precedent, which is an appellate court decision that helps us understand or interpret the law, in fact, maybe law itself. Here, we mean a writing precedent as a standard contract or other agreement or document, which is used as an example for later documents. And this can be formal or informal. If it's very formal, then it might be called a template more than a writing precedent. But often, it is the case that a letter or a contract or a brief that we are writing today is similar to what we wrote last week, last month, or even last year. So we may pull up that prior writing, maybe save it as a new Word document, and edit for this occasion. Or perhaps we pull it up and copy and paste different sections of it, And then add that to the new Word document. And maybe we look at a few different prior precedents, prior documents that we wrote in the past and pull out certain paragraphs or certain sections from each that is relevant to the new writing. And if that's the case, then we're using those old writings as a writing precedent. Instead of writing from scratch from a blank page, we're using what we wrote before to help us in this new writing. And again, whether the writing is a letter, a contract, brief, it doesn't really matter. It could be just an email where we're using the prior writing to help us compose this new writing. <music> forms. Forms could be a, a fillable form with blanks or gaps that are filled in. A lot of courts in the United States will have these kind of court forms. It may be a fillable PDF, sometimes it's a Word document, but the court will make this available in the lawyer or sometimes the pro se litigant, the person that doesn't have a lawyer representing them, just fills in the blank. It could be the style of the case, the party name, the case number, the judge that is handling the case, and the other details for this, whatever the form is, complaint or motion or answer. This is especially common in family law cases where it is very common to have pro se litigants, people representing themselves. And it help, it's helpful to the court and to the judges, because if they have court forms available, and sometimes they might be mandatory that, that people use, sometimes they're just a uh, helpful suggestion, but if they're available, then the forms are going to be much more consistent, and the information that the court wants or needs will be there, you know, unless the, the person just ignores what the, the fields are but it helps the person fill them in, which some lawyers, of course, are not crazy about because if a person can just fill it in themselves, then what is the point in hiring a lawyer? So some lawyers will use these forms, but a lot of lawyers will type it themselves, so at least it looks a little bit different. You know, It has their law firm format rather than the court's format, even if the substance is, of course, the same. And, of course, you could have the same thing set up by the law firm instead of the court. So the law firm might have their own fillable form where you just go through filling in the blanks with the dates, the names, the case numbers, etc. for the filing that you're about to make. So if it's a form, most of it is complete. It just has the blanks that you fill out. Could be a PDF form or a Word document or something else. Templates. Templates are more formal than a writing precedent. But again, don't get hung up on the nomenclature, what we call these things. A lot of different lawyers or law firms might blur the distinctions between these. So don't be too uh, nitpicky or hung up on the specific formal meanings of them. Because sometimes they are used in different contexts. But lots of bar associations or legal press, such as Westlaw or Lexis, will offer templates of legal documents. These could be complaints or answers or motions or briefs, pleadings that are filed with the court, or other documents such as contracts or wills, things like that that are commonly used by lawyers. And as a lawyer, you can take this model contract, be it for the sale of goods, lease of an apartment or whatever it is, and then modify it to fit your purposes, inserting names and dates, filling in details or modifying some of the clauses or provisions within the contract and delete some sections that are not relevant. Maybe you do many of these types of contracts, so you modify that template for your own purposes and then use that as the template. Some computer programs can work with Microsoft Word and whatever your client database management software is to generate documents. So basically using a template, adding the details that you've already entered into the database, which makes it very convenient. I worked in a couple offices where we had this. So most of the time, the information was already in the database. You just kind of hit click the button to generate a complaint or whatever the document that you needed was. And it would go through it, take the information from the different files and generate a new Word document. If it was a template that we used all the time, then chances are everything was in there. I just had to look it over, print it out and sign the bottom. If it was one that, was not used quite as often, then there might be blanks. There are some things that I had to change or information that I had to add because we didn't have a fully formed template with all the information because it wasn't as used as some of the other documents would be. But either way, it made it a lot faster to do it this way than, again, to write it from scratch. If you don't have a a database working with Microsoft Word to do this automatically, then of course it helps to have a file folder, and this could be for you as an individual lawyer or for the whole law firm. But if you have a shared file folder with all of these documents, with the formal templates that have been agreed upon by the law firm or or set up by you, or it could just be the, the writing precedent. Whenever you write something that, oh, this was a good version of this type of contract or this type of motion, you obviously saved a copy in the case file or the client file. You also make a copy of it in the writing precedent folder or the template folder. And then when you write a similar document, you can refer to this one. I often use this for letters that I wrote either to opposing counsel or to my client. Often I would write the same type of letter every month. It may be, you know, introducing me to the the new opposing counsel if they just were added to the case, or maybe I was just added to the case. So you, know, you write a, a letter to the other side, or it could be, you know, here's the discovery I'm sending, or this is what I'm asking, or let's have a meeting. But they're kind of standard letters. Or every month I would send a letter to my client. You know, this is what I've done this month. This is the amount of money that you owe me. Or, you know, this is our next court date, this is what we need to get ready for, or, or these are the documents that I'm, I'm missing, so I'm waiting for you to get them to me. But every time I wrote this type of letter, I would use an earlier writing precedent, I would look at how I wrote it, maybe copy and paste a lot of it, or save it as a new Word document. But then maybe I'm looking at it and I try to improve it a little bit. You know, gee, I should add another sentence that maybe explains this. Or I don't like the wording of that sentence or that paragraph. Let, let me tweak that a little bit. And then the next time when I write that type of letter, I'll have that newest version. And again, maybe I'll tweak it a little bit. Maybe I'll, I'll change some of the wording again. So every time I write it, it'll try to get a little bit better, a little bit better. But of course, if I don't have a, a lot of time to, to be looking at it, I know that I've written it you know, 10 times or 100 times. So I just change the details and send it off. I don't have to spend a lot of time working on that kind of simple letter. I found this to be a great time-saving device, as well as a great way to improve my writing over time. If you're enjoying today's episode, please subscribe, give us five stars, and a review. You can also go to our website, 4 is in the number 4 Legal English, no spaces or dashes, dot com. That's 4LegalEnglish.com. Check out our blog articles, available courses, and the show notes for this episode. You can also comment. It's a great way to practice and improve your legal English skills. If you're looking to improve those legal English skills, consider our Elemental Legal English course. This is our flagship course, which introduces you to a lot of the important legal English terms. This is completely online and you can complete it at your own pace. This is based on a university semester-length course. The course includes video lectures with me, Timothy Barrett, quizzes to reinforce and test your knowledge from the lessons, a downloadable lexicon workbook to complete as you complete the course, flashcards with every chapter, an excerpt from a court case, a landmark decision, with a discussion and questions about that case. Any chapter has blocks on grammar, and idioms, as well as a chapter end test. If you're looking to improve your legal English skills, this is a great way to do it. You can check it out on our website, forlegalenglish.com, and look for the Elemental Legal English course. How can you use these techniques? In your own practice, I've kind of discussed this a little bit earlier, but save some of your best writing. As you write similar documents again and again, try to tweak them, try to improve them so it's always getting a little bit better and it's always a little bit easier to do, a little bit faster to do because you have the prior ones, the prior writing precedents or templates that you can use. If you use them a lot, then instead of just using a writing precedent, maybe turn it into a template. Zero out all the all the details and highlight them or put them and even create a fillable form in Word document so that you'll go through and just add the new information for that newest document. Another way to to use these techniques is in your job applications. If you're preparing CVs and application letters, then I highly encourage you to use this type of, of technique. One, when you write a CV, Every time you look at it, of course, you're trying to improve it, making it a little bit better. And so as time goes on, of course, you have to keep it updated. Maybe you've done something new at your current job. Even if you're not looking for a new job, you still want to keep your CV updated so that when you look for a new job, you don't have to think, oh, what was that project I worked on or what was that training I went to last year or two years ago? What was that called? What was the dates? Try to keep that information updated in your CV. But then as you update your CV, save it as a new file name. When I have my CVs or application letters, I'll save it with the date. So if today's date is May 1st, 2022, I would save it as 2022 space 05 space 01 CV. Uh, And so then when it's in that file folder on my computer, it's very clear and it's already sorted by the date. And maybe if I change my CV somewhat, maybe I have a CV where I applied for a law firm position, but then I have another CV where I changed it a little bit because I was applying for a teaching position or an NGO position or something like that. So I changed the CV a little bit. So I would mark that in the CV, you know, CV-NGO, CV slash teaching, something like that. Or sometimes I'll have a long form and a short form CV as well. In with application letters, a lot of times you're sending out very similar application letters. Again, maybe this application is to a law firm, uh, another one's to an NGO, another one's for a teaching job, and then I'm applying maybe a month later, maybe a year later, for a similar type of job. I can look back at, oh, I have all these application letters for law firms, but oh, but this old one was for a teaching position. I'm applying for a teaching position now. Let me look at that. And again, maybe I just open it, and then file save as. I use that as the new document and just change it. Or maybe I take some paragraphs from this application letter or another from that application letter. That sort of thing, mix and, and match, that is relevant for this new job application. But by saving those uh, by date and by kind of topic or, or what is important from that letter, it's very easy to refer to them as writing precedents when you're writing something new. errors so one of the possible problems with using these types of writing precedents is if you neglect to make changes in elemental legal english as well as in the podcast previously we've talked about how a lot of times in a contract at the very beginning of the contract you'll say you know john smith here and after referred to as the buyer molly jones here and after referred to as the seller and then the rest of the contract you'll say buyer agrees to do this seller agrees to do this you know so you're always referring to the buyer seller buyer seller and of course at the at the very bottom you need their names again when they when they make their signatures but in the most of the instances in the writing in the contract it's going to be buyer or seller or landlord tenant employer employee whatever the the respective titles are but one of the advantages to doing it that way is if you put in their names each time, maybe you forget to change their names once. And so you have a contract for you know, Smith and Jones. In, in the contract, you have you know McIntyre agrees to do you know, XYZ. Well, McIntyre is not part of the contract. That is kind of a, a dead point in the contract. And you as the lawyer who drafted the contract could get in trouble for that error. So we do like to use those kind of terms, employer, employee, buyer, seller, what have you. Even though we do that, we have to make sure that whatever details are in the prior writing have been changed for the new writing. And that's one of the reasons we might, instead of using a writing precedent where we just take literally the old document and then change it, we might want to take that old document and kind of turn it into a template where we take out all that information and put in you know, blank lines, you know, highlight them, something like that, so it's very clear what you need to put in. And if you make a mistake, your old information is not there. You're not going to have your old client's name or address information, telephone number, anything like that. You certainly don't want to release that information by mistake. So that's one reason you might make it into a kind of more formal template. But you always want to pay attention to people's names, their details, personal identification, information, of course, dates, dollar amounts, and other details. But by using these writing precedents or templates, it's a great way to improve your writing over time, to streamline the amount of time it takes you to generate this writing, and it can add to the consistency. So your writing is always consistent, hopefully consistently very good. So, do you use writing precedents or templates in your own work? What questions do you have about today's topic? Please go to the show notes and leave a comment. I'd be interested to hear what you think of this episode. Also, please subscribe, give five stars, and a review. You can go to our website, 44 four, no dashes.com Check out our blog articles, available courses, and the show notes for this episode comment. It's a great way to practice and improve your skills. The For Legal English podcast is adjourned. Don't miss the next Docket Call.